You're listening to the Remorseless Podcast. Hey guys, what's up? It's Beth Fisher. Welcome to episode number 35. Okay, this is going to be short and sweet because in today's episode, drum roll please, we have our first male guest, right? How can it be that such a person like myself, who is all things gender equity, has not yet had a male guest on the show? Okay, call me a hypocrite, call me a lot of things, but we're done with that. So no uh, pressure, Dr. Brian Russell. I told him this, I told him as much, and he's like, okay, I hope I can set the bar high, and he does, you guys. So on this episode, we're talking to Dr. Brian Russell, who shares with us what centering prayer means. Okay, to me, it means how to stay centered and pray, and I was like pretty angsty about it because I don't sit still very well, and neither does he. We were happy to find out on the show with one another as we talked that we were both Enneagram 3s, which means we are the proverbial doers, achievers, performers. And uh, yeah, people like that are not so easily convinced that centering and being still is like where it's at. So join us right now, like buckle up, settle in, get excited about this. I'm super excited because you guys from here on out, we're going to have obviously additional male guests on the show. We actually have coming up in a couple episodes an ex-NFL player. So anybody want to guess where he used to play? All right, you guys, thanks as always for joining. Let's roll episode 35. Here we go. Hey guys, it's Beth. Okay, welcome to this week's episode where we have our first male guest on the show. You guys know I hate labels, so just to say we have our first male guest seems weird to me. However, it's true. And since I am, I guess the original feminist, one of them, like Esther in the Old Testament for sure was, but you know, when I was a little girl, I was always the one out there who would say, what do you mean I can't throw the football? I can throw a spiral better than that guy can. Or what do you mean you throw like a girl? What does that even mean? Right? So I always have been of the opinion, no difference. Girls can do it just as well, if not better than boys. You know, I, I do come from that era. I come from that mindset today. I just think, you know, I just be a decent human. But that said, since I am all about gender equity, you would think we'd have men on the show. So Today, Brian Russell, he's our first male guest, and he said, I'm going to set the bar high, and he did, you guys. He's an incredible theologian. He's got his PhD. He pastors. His very first sermon was at age 18. He's a few years older than I am, and we talk about all things as it relates to his new book coming out, which is all about centering prayer. Uh, He's also a three on the Enneagram, so he doesn't sit still very much. He's an achiever. Uh, He's a doer, and yet he talks to us about what it means to be silent on the inside insofar as that's possible, what that looks like to God, how we build muscle to do that. So this is just a really, really great episode uh, filled with a lot of theological advice. And I can't wait for you to join us. We're going to continue to have men on the show. They are welcome in this space, obviously, because, you know, human race. Thank you every week for being here with me. Thank you to Life Network for Women for this platform. And you guys, I cannot wait you to hear this. So would you please do me the honor of welcoming this week's guest, our first man on the show, Brian Russell. Brian Russell, thank you so much for joining us. On Remorselessly Biblical, and as you know, you are our first male guest on the show. <laughs> no pressure. Well, I need to, I'm just going to raise the bar for every other guy, and it's, um, I'm so grateful for the chance to be with you, Beth, so thank you. Yeah, of course, of course. I tease people, you know, I think uh, some of my viewers know, so I'm a marathon runner, and when people say, oh, I'm going to run my, my first race, I'm like, that's great, you're going to PR. This will be your personal best, 
ever because you've never done one. So I feel like that's where we are right now. <laughs> but uh, one of the questions I always start out with um, folks who are on the show, just to share with our viewers, because they know that I'm a big proponent and believer that God brings people into our lives at just the right time, at just the right reason, is how we met. So if you can, and this might be not all that interesting, but if you can just share with people how we got connected, I think that's a huge uh, start to the show. And then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, well, I have a, a book coming out. So I joined this service called podmatch.com. Yeah. And um, your podcast came as a match uh, to me. It's kind of like it was really funny. It was kind of like online dating all over again or whatever. And then except <laughs> it's for podcasts. And so I sent you a note and uh, uh, it resonated. And uh, we've, again, now you're going to be on my podcast, too, in a week or so. I forget what day it is. And so it, it was a good connection. And I'm super grateful to AI, I guess, for matching the algorithms to match, <laughs> match us up. Yes. And speaking of AI, I still go to God because that's the true story, you guys. That's how we met. But let me tell you. So then when this happened and I realized, yes, Brian is interesting. He's going to have a lot to impart to our viewers and it's really going to resonate, as you mentioned. So I started to go back in some of your episodes and listen to your podcast. And uh, I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan and know AJ Cheryl. Oh, cool. yes. Yes. And so when I listened to your episode on contemplative prayer, I thought this is like deja vu when I sat at Mars Hill. And what's really interesting is years ago, I actually interviewed to go work on staff with AJ at Mars Hill. So this is a church, you guys, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Back in the day, Rob Bell was a preacher there, pastor there. Um, AJ took over. Really amazing. Very, very well written um, and studied and just an incredible speaker and gifted pastor. And I just thought, what are the chances, right? Like, this is the thing that we have to understand is that people come into our lives and I'm thinking, Okay, I have no idea. Brian is in Orlando, Florida. I am in the northern part of our country. Never met. And yet we have a, a person in common, a theology person in common. This is all God's doing, you guys. I, I really fully believe that. And then the second thing I heard, it was not that episode. But you're from Ohio. Yes, I am from Akron, oh. Ohio. Okay. All right. I got to look away for this. Right. I grew up in Minerva, Ohio. I know where that I, is, yeah. Of course, yeah, because I my parents were in North Canton, and so I'm a huge LeBron fan. I am a Cavs, well, no longer Indians. They're the Guardians and a Browns That's fan. True, and I went, <laughs> yeah, and I went to Ohio State. I'm like, we're both from Northeast Ohio. How does that even happen? How does it happen? Because well, Ohio is the case? great. Everybody, everybody awesome's from Ohio. I figure. I mean, it seems like it's really true. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we both. I heard on another episode have gone through divorce, and so. Yes, we just have a lot in common. So from that point and all those connective, you know, dots, I would like to know if you would share with us a little bit just about your religious background. Did you grow up in the faith? What sort of denomination? How did your God journey begin? Yeah, my my God journey began with um, with my parents. Um, they started taking my brother. I have one brother, and my parents have been married since uh, successfully since 1964. And so, uh, they started taking my brother and myself to church when I was roughly four or five years old, and we attended in in Akron, Ohio, um, actually South Akron. Um, actually, grew up pretty close to where LeBron actually grew up. We were within. It's about 10 minutes and so pretty close to uh, where he's from in South Akron. And um, my parents were converted during revival services that were done by Billy Graham's um, Evangelistic Association. It wasn't him himself, but it was um, in, in, uh, it was in a revival service. And so I started attending a Methodist church uh, when I was five. And 
grew up in the church. Um, I would say the faith really became my own. I mean, I can remember when I was a little boy walking down the aisle. We had altar calls at the church I grew up in and uh, giving my heart to Jesus. That's the way we talked about it at my church when I was growing up. And then went through teenage years, had some struggles, but may had a really powerful uh, conversion experience uh, when I was 15 in 1985, that would have been, when I was a uh, a sophomore in in high school. And from that moment, um, faith really became the focus of my life, felt called into the ministry uh, fairly early on. So I preached my first sermon when I was 18, believe it or not. My wow. uh, pastor let me, it was, you know, it was a smaller church. And so it wasn't like I was, it wasn't like Mars Hill where never would have let 18 year old in 10 feet of the pulpit probably, but so the small enough, you know, family Methodist church. And so my pastor mentored me and then I went straight into to seminary. So that's, that's kind of how my, my faith journey started. Do you remember what your first, what you preached on when you're 18? Yeah, I just preached on one of my favorite passages. I preached on 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25. Um, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God unto Mm -hmm. salvation. Wow. And I, wow. And, I, and I and I remember I was like a Chuck Swindoll. He was on AM radio. <laughs> yeah. Because when I, you know, because there was no internet when we were uh, younger, and so I got all of my Christian education because I was um, super committed. So I, I read whatever books I can't, could, and I listened to AM radio. And Chuck Swindoll used to I can't even think what a show used to be called, but I remember I was inspired to write the sermon from listening to some of his his teaching um, on in his ministry that he had. So that's 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 and and also Michael Card, the Christian. Uh, songwriter. He had a song called um, God's Own Fool. And uh, so between all those things that kind of spun out my first sermon on Corinthians. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so that's where it began. You you grew up in the faith. You had a strong calling. You had a conversion. You were in it. You went to seminary like you knew from a very young age. Did anything after that on your journey kind of get you off track, if you will? Well, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have met me if I wouldn't have kind of got myself off track. And so, I mean, so literally, um, I'm a I'm a seminary professor by the time I'm 31 years old. So I I went straight through seminary, had my I was the pastor of my first church when I was um, 23 years old. Um, And then I'd served two churches by the time I was 30. I finished my Ph.D. Um, I was I was hired before I finished. um, So I but I started my Ph.D. when I was 27. So I went literally straight through college seminary, um, taught a couple years at Asbury, then jumped into the Ph.D. And then I came right back to Asbury Seminary after after that. Uh, And basically the the um, the the big challenge in my life was um, um, I, I, you know, I hate to even say it like this, and I don't want to say anything bad, but I, I was just in a really difficult marriage. Um, I mean, there's, there's that that could be its whole own episode because I learned a lot of stuff, and um, I don't, you know, and but I was married for 20 years, and um, and, and in a sense, and this is why I like your work too, from even what I read from the on, on identity. <clears throat> Basically, I made my whole identity being um, a biblical professor, or even a pastor. Um, a guy that was all in on the faith. And I think looking back, I realized I was really struggling in my relationship. And so I got most of my esteem and sense of identity from all the stuff that I did. And uh, I was really good at getting stuff done. Still am. I'm the guy that if um, you need something done, you just give it to me and it's done. Um, And I'm a goal setter and all this stuff. And basically, you know, um, um, again, I was... uh, 
see that. So I was about 10 years into the marriage is when I got the, uh, I married very young too, which again, I think that's typical for evangelicals yep. and, uh, and stuff. And so I was married and I was like 20 years old. Yep. Um, maybe I, was, I guess I was 21 and she was just 19. So we were you know, super young, grew up in a church. And there's a whole story to that, which we don't have to necessarily get into, but, um, you know, 20 years in, um, it's not, I'm not married anymore and it's just done. And I have two little girls at that point. Um, um, they're nine and 11 and I essentially raised them for several years by myself. And it was, it was going through the divorce for me, um, that it just all shut down on the inside. And I remember, um, yeah, this is this is this will be fun for the podcasters because this is going to sound. I'm, I'm teaching at the seminary. I was on sabbatical when, um, when literally, I mean, my marriage went from 20 years anniversary kind of. I thought we were having a celebration. All of a sudden, I found all this stuff out, and boom, it's it's done, and um, um, it's just gone. And so I'm going through this divorce. I'm back trying to teach, <clears throat> and didn't feel anything. So I'm going mm-hmm. through the whole grieving process. All yeah. you know, all, all that's all that, and 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 like. What all the stuff that I'd felt in my heart towards God is just gone. It was gone so to such an extent <clears throat> that I'm teaching, and I literally taught on fumes, is what I said. And 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 then and then, and then I had to I actually confronted this brute truth. I thought to myself, "Wow, <clears throat> I'm not sure I can do this anymore because I don't feel." anything for God at all. Mm. And then I thought, geez, I'm only 41. Can I fake this for the rest of my life so I can keep my job? Wow. Yeah. And and, and, and then I, and this is the bad stuff. And the answer was, I, I decided, yeah, I could fake it because not a single person, I mean, I had, you know, my friends knew, but um, the seminary protected my privacy. And so nobody knew. One student who really knew me knew something was wrong and he asked me one day, but otherwise nobody knew. And I started getting the ironic thing. I started getting these great teaching evaluations, even better than the old version of myself. And I thought, this is crazy. Yeah. And so I kind of decided that, okay. Um, but I, and I thought, okay, then I'm going to um, um, maybe give up um, teaching. Cause it's like, I'm not going to, fa- I'm not a fake and I don't want to be a fake. And I, you know, I did know I had to give myself some time to see, you know, wait for things to kind of come back. And, um, <clears throat> but I had this experience um, that kept me in the in the game, if you will. I was up in Ohio. I was back at a. I was um, Asbury had a campus uh, for a short time at a big uh, church in Columbus, big mm-hmm. vineyard church, and um, the guy that was the connection between Asbury and the class I was teaching. This was in the spring of like 2011. Um, he told me um, the second time I went up there, I went there for two weekends. Again, nobody knows anything. But it was the weekend literally uh, after the, the judge had signed the divorce papers. And, 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 he, and he goes to me, he goes, you know, this is, he goes, my wife and I, we have the gift of discernment. And, um, um, and we do words of knowledge. I mean, this was like a charismatic church. And I'm like, wow, what's this guy going to say? So I'm kind of scared, right? And he goes, and, and he goes, I can't tell for sure because we we've been praying for you all night and my wife thinks this is from the for the from the lord for you but it doesn't make any sense what we're going to say and, and he goes and we this might be from the devil we're not 100% sure <laughs> could go either way <laughs> yeah i know and I, but he goes i'm pretty sure this is from god and and then he goes to me and and, and this is literally like one of the things that just basically kept my faith together um he goes <clears throat> i think god's supposed to tell uh, God wants me to tell you, um, <clears throat> Brian, 
Um, I know that you're about to give up, uh, but God, but I, I know you're really good at what you do, and I still want you on the team. And then the guy goes, I have no idea what I, why I'm supposed to tell you that. And I'm uh, literally, I mean, you can imagine the face, right? It's because I, I'm, uh, and I, you know, I don't remember if I cried, but I was just like, I was just stunned. Mm-hmm. And I told him, and, you know, we've been friends ever since, and we talk about that. But, I, but, but to me, that was like, um, you know, like I've, I've joked sometimes as far as faith struggles that um, I've tried really hard to be an atheist, but God literally doesn't let me. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, you know, and so I've, you know, so I've basically been on this kind of bounce back. Um, ever since really that moment. And my faith's never been exactly the same because it really did deconstruct. But what I've come to know over the last few years, and you got to take a look at the, the book that I wrote on centering prayer, I used um, contemplative practices, some um, centering prayer, and a lot of journaling, and then just being around really good friends, and then reading um, outside of a lot of stuff that I had read previously and all those things just essentially, you know, now t- it's over, it's been over, it's been 11 years now since everything blew up for me. Um, um, it, I've got to a point now where, um, you know, my, my faith is, um, is back. It's not the same as it was in some ways. It's a lot stronger. Sure. It's a lot more, um, <clears throat> I would say it's a lot more bulletproof now than it probably ever was. And the one thing it's changed for me, and this comes out in my in my book, but is um, my identity is no longer in what I do. It's as a person loved by God. And again, I'm not perfect in that. So I don't even want to brag and say that I am. But that's where I'm able to basically live my life out of a position of being loved. And instead of trying to hit a target now, it's more like, okay, let's see how deep I can go in my love for God, in my love for my neighbor, and then also in this a love for myself, which was probably what was lacking most of my life because I was always trying to prove stuff from, you know, probably what had happened growing up. So I'm going to go on a limb here and say you're a three on the Enneagram? Of course. Ta-da! Yeah. This is why. This is why we were matched. This is why we didn't keep swiping left or right or whatever on the pod mat. Yeah, exactly. And that is it. It's performance-based acceptance. It is if I knock this out of the park, if I do this well, if I do it better than anybody, if I do it better than anybody expected... Then I will be loved. If then, if then, if then. And that's a lot what I write in my book is about the transactional love. And it's it's so hard for folks like us who were created like this, who show up in the world like this, to really be accepting of unconditional love because we think we don't deserve it. We think yes, we haven't yeah. done enough. Yeah, we just think, man, I either messed up or I didn't hit a goal. And it's really exhausting. Now, I love the Enneagram study, as also AJ does. And I think there's a lot of validity in that. But yet I do think, to your point, we as we grow and transform and change and learn things and really start to accept things, lean into our identities, go, yep, this is it. You know what? I, I have nothing else to prove. Um, it's that second half of life, the Richard Rohr, right? Principle, which I love. It's like, See, it's a okay. great book. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I just, I finally feel at peace with it. It's not, like to your point again, not perfect. I mess up. I still sometimes say, get out of my way. Cause I'm getting an A plus on this thing or whatever, but it's really hard to, to do. And yet so worthwhile. And what I heard in your journey is that you hit a point um, that was like this crossroads, that was this failure. I'm sure you felt like a failure when you went through divorce. That's how I felt both times. Like, man, I messed this thing up and this is not at all on my, on my to-do list. Wasn't a goal achieved. In fact, it was a, a goal missed. So it renders you stuck in going through that grief process. But you found, I think, centering prayer during this time. Is that right? 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, not, not ex- um, I, 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 as soon as I, I, I found centering prayer basically within a year or so after the divorce, but I did start have, I had these, I put it in the book. I had this really remarkable kind of contemplative moment. And so I started experimenting with, um, um, really just sitting in silence. Like I found like, the, this will be funny since I'm an achiever. I, I found out um, yeah. like, like somebody told me I was losing, like I needed to explore, you know, how to meditate, but I thought that was all Eastern stuff. And I didn't even know there was this Christian prayer that I can use. And so what I started doing, and this is almost embarrassing, but this, uh, this, uh, this is my three showing up here is like, I found out that I was listening to, um, I think Darren Hardy, who used to publish success magazine, and he was interviewing this Navy SEAL and this Navy SEAL was talking about the kind of, um, breathing patterns that they use for training. They call it stress inoculation therapy. And they just use this box pattern. And I thought, oh, geez, lethal Navy SEALs do this breathing pattern to stay calm when they're fighting. Maybe I'll try that. And so that was kind of my, um, you know, that's the that's the backstory to me becoming really into contemplative prayer and stuff. Because I didn't know anything about this. This was not part of my um, biblical training. It wasn't part of my denominational background. And so I didn't even know this stuff existed. So it kind of centering prayer found me because one of my colleagues, you know, I was talking about uh, doing these breathing patterns. He goes, you know, did you know that we have this Christian practice? Like, no, I didn't. And so it was introduced. And so I've been doing it um, um, really for on and off for, well, probably about eight years. And then I've been doing it really hardcore, like um, for probably five years now. I mean, by hardcore doing 20 plus minutes every single day. In the morning, is that kind of a first day practice for you? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I do it in the morning. Sometimes I do it at night too. And and, and what's been a real blessing since this whole COVID um, stuff mm-hmm. has been going on? My, my wife and I we do it together now every morning. So as soon as we wake up, we have a cup of coffee, and then within ten minutes of being awake, we're doing the twenty minutes together, which is that's been a real blessing in our marriage too. Yeah, and here's I had questions about this when I first was obviously, as I like to affectionately say, Nancy during you, I was completely going, all right, what is this guy about? And I read about Centering Prayer, and it says this, a method of meditation that places a strong emphasis on interior silence centered entirely on the presence of God, which kind of like goes to, you know, Thomas Merton's sort of contemplative prayer. But here was my immediate question without even knowing you were three. Now I've got the question times two, which was how does anybody go to complete interior silence? I have struggled with that as you full firsthand understand because I, I move, I'm a doer, I'm an achiever, right? I go, go, go. And to slow my brain down is really a struggle. And so when I'm not doing, I think I don't know who I am. I mean, cognitively I do, and I've worked towards that. And as I deconstructed, I've gotten closer to that, but yet I'm still in it. And so when I sit still, it's almost like, I don't know who I am right now because I don't sit. So how does that actually work in practice? If you can share a little bit more about that, I am super curious because I think a lot of people struggle with saying, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know how to meditate. I don't know how to be silent. And also this part about second part of the question centered entirely on the presence of God. When I read that, I thought, wow, um, are we summoning? Like, what are we like the witch of Endor up in here? Right? Like, are we summoning God to say, come hither? I'm quiet now. (laughs) You know, what is that? How do you do all this? No, those are two really great questions. And um, 
and it's really interesting. My spiritual director, he's a three, of course, because all threes hang together and that's just how this all works. And, you know, I know you're a coach. And so like, I find a lot, I'm also an um, INTJ on Myers-Briggs. And so like um, a lot of the people that I serve in my coaching, I mean, it, it, I have other folks too, but I have a, it's really funny. I have a large proportion of threes, which I don't see as a coincidence. It's kind of like you attract persons that are like yourself and I have a lot of INTJs that come to me. And so, um, but my spiritual director, who's both of those things also, um, he basically, um, on the Enneagram, he, he connects um, contemplative practices to the numbers. And, you know, even though centering prayer is good literally for everyone, it's particularly helpful for persons with the heart center, which is the three, the, yeah. let's see, what is it? The three, four, in the two, two, three, four um, triad on the, in the Enneagram. Because yeah. it's the hardest for us, uh, but that's exactly what we need. And so how do you do it? Well, first thing, there's a couple of, um, there's at least a myth in what you said, even though that is a definition. Um, in, in your question, or both of the statements in that definition are kind of half-truths. <clears throat> the first thing is, I, you know, maybe some super experienced monk who's been doing it for a gazillion years can literally quiet everything, but I doubt it. Like from my um, own research, and I've, I've talked to, um, I talked to um, Father um, Merico Madigan, who's got a great book called Centering Prayer and the Healing of the Unconscious, and he's been doing Centering Prayer for 20 years, and his PhD dissertation was even on it. Um, you know, he's he's long term on the centering prayer and, and he doesn't get all quiet because um, I was asking what it's like and you still have bad days. And so really um, what you're doing, it's not so much that you have interior silence. It's that you have this. Um, the experience essentially is recognizing that you can observe yourself thinking mm. Okay. So it's like instead of, um, you know, like the, in, in the book, I tell a story when I was going for a walk and then all everything got quiet for a second. I like had this moment and that was everything about just being coming aware versus walking like I usually do where I'm always thinking about something. And then we, ma we make this mistake of thinking that we're, we, we are our thoughts. And, you know, and at some level we are, but at the same time, anybody that's dreamed at night knows you really don't control what goes through your head. And so the, the discipline of centering prayer and any kind of a meditation practice, it isn't to become thoughtless. It's to be able to step back and then observe. And then it's like you're this third person. It's like, OK, I can see myself thinking which means, okay, who's watching me think? Well, that means the me that's watching the thoughts is not the same as the thoughts. And so yeah. the, the discipline is simply to be able to back out. And, and, and then the very, th the very problem that you state that your brain's always going, that means that you're doing it perfectly because now you're aware of the thoughts oh. and then you have the blessing of the centering part, right? Because this is where it's distinctively Christian. We're not just going inward like if we were, say, and again, um, like if we were doing Buddhist meditation, which most people do. That's the mindfulness where you just pay attention to your breath or um, a lot of you know people. And again, I know this is a Christian podcast, but, you know, like some folks do transcendental meditation. That's more of a Hindu kind of a practice. Um, centering prayer is 
whenever you find yourself in, lost in the thought, you just use your prayer word. Like I say, you should just use Jesus, but you could use love or peace or God. And the whole idea is you say that word to yourself and it just breaks up the thought for a second. So if I'm sitting there thinking, and it could be a disturbing thought, it can just be, hey, is this ever going to end? Or did I set my timer on my watch so I know in the 20 minutes, whatever your thoughts are, when you see yourself ha- when you realize you're having a thought, which will be most of the time, yeah. you just interrupt it with Jesus. And what that does then is you just basically get, I mean, maybe just it's nanoseconds of interior silence, but that's the whole practice. And so in 20 minutes, I mean, you may use your prayer word, I don't know, dozens of times, but mm-hmm. what that's doing, it's like, you know, you said you're on a marathon. It's like going to the gym or exercising or, you know, doing sprints. You're flexing muscles that are slowly building, and it slowly builds your awareness. So, th- so that's the first thing. The goal isn't to be completely silent, except for split seconds. And you know, and maybe because here's the thing that happens. And like this happens to me because I'm an achiever. I want to do it right. Exactly. So, so it's like you'll sit there and you'll think, "Wow, I'm not having a thought right now." And then I'm like, "Wait a second, I just that had a thought, thought that I wasn't that was having." Exa- yeah, exactly. So you get it. So, but so that's yeah. what happens. Yeah. But it's just, it's just doing flex. It's just like doing, I'm going to do 50 push-ups. So if I send my prayer word 50 times, that's in, that's, I've got to return to Jesus away from my thoughts 50 times or a hundred times or a dozen times. And then yeah. the, 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 the second question was about, um, can we manipulate God? Essentially, he called it summons. And I love that. That's a great question. And, and, and that's the other piece. Um, <clears throat> And this is like centering prayer is really the setup for what, like you mentioned, A.J. Sherrill, and, you know, uh, he talks about contemplative prayer and Thomas Merton does. Centering prayer is just the setup for contemplative prayer because contemplative prayer is literally when you find yourself in God's presence, which Mm -hmm. in in, uh, like a soul connection, like a soul to soul thing with with God. Now, that's all in in the the way to talk about that is God's presence, though, obviously God is everywhere, but. The um, perception of God's presence is always God's gift to us. Mm. And so the goal of centering prayer, I mean, the only goal is to do it. We don't try to control whether or not we actually encounter God. And, and you know, and I can honestly say to, to our audience, just because I don't want to ever give um, false expectations, a lot of centering prayer sessions is essentially – being lost in thought most of the time, (laughs) using your prayer word. And then, you know, it's like, wow, well, there was another 20 minutes before I returned to Jesus a whole bunch of times. Um, Every once in a while, like I've had these incredible experiences of God's love here and there, but it's not every time and it's not even all the time. And in fact, this is what I've actually said to people. I've had one or two experiences doing centering prayer that were so powerful. I, honestly don't care if I ever experienced that ever again, because it was like once was enough. It's, yeah. you know, it's having that ex- total acceptance and being completely in the presence of love. I mean, how many times do I need that in my life? How about once? Right. right. <laughs> it's, it's like that now I want other people to have it. So it's like, yeah, do I hope it happens again? Sure. But I'm just that the, the point is, is this isn't going to happen all the time. And the goal isn't to try to make God show up. It's to put ourselves 
in a position of basically open-handed surrender. And, you know, and we, you know, you kind of hope God shows up, but it's not, but it's, but you can't, you're not, we're not trying to make God. And I, you know, and God is sitting there with us when we're in silence, but the goal isn't to manipulate or, again, I loved your word. We're not doing magic tricks to summon yeah. God because that yeah. would not be, that would, that would be Christianity at that point. That's some other religion. That's exactly right. And that's so good. And it's not what it's about. And I've experienced what you just said one time as well. And you just have, there aren't enough words. And for people like us who love words, that's saying something because it's just this in utter envelopment, if that's a word, you're completely enveloped in uh, uh, love. Like there's nothing, yeah. everything is still and silent and it's just there. Right. Yes. And so to your point, I, I knew before I experienced that moment, that very brief moment that God existed, I've never wavered on that. I have had moments of disconnection. I've had moments of anger. I've had moments of questioning. I've had moments of being out of relationship, but I've never wondered at, at any point in my life, are, are you real? Do you exist? I knew it. And so I think that when I, it was, especially when I was hearing you explain this, I often tell people that nothing prepared me more for the way that we are to receive love from God than becoming a parent. So when I gave mm, birth to yeah. Olivia and for the last 24 years, I have really been taught and shown what unconditional love is like. And during her teenage years, especially when I'm like, you were not listening to the rules. You're killing me here, kid. Like I'm, I'm telling you this information because I love you and I care for you. And when she would completely disobey me and yet still come home, I wasn't mad at her. I was, I was, not pleased with her choices, but all I cared about that she was safe and she was with me. And I, I loved her even more in that moment. I was so grateful that she was there with me. And so when I heard you say this, it is about just showing up. It is about just making the effort because often like you and I, right. Even during this, the course of a podcast or with your wife or with my husband or with people that we see every day, coworkers, et cetera, strangers, it doesn't matter. We are not a hundred percent connected all the time because our human brains are all over the place. Yes. But our relationship still somehow deepen and strengthen every single time we say, you know what, I'm going to hang out with you for a minute. I'm just going to be here. That, that really just sums it up so beautifully. So I appreciate that explanation of um, centering prayer. I, I am going to try it again. I'm going to know that threes are okay too. Like, Hey, as soon as I heard you say, well, you had that thought that you're thinking, so you're winning. I'm like, oh, well, I'm going back. <laughs> I'm going to win some more over here. Um, I have two more somewhat related questions. And I was excited to ask you this. I'm going to take a little bit of a pivot here. Um, just given the fact that you grew up in the faith and, and have, you know, you're, you're studied, you, you've gone through this. So what are your thoughts? I, you're completely not going to understand that I'm asking this. I haven't prepared you. Concept of kingdom here, kingdom not yet. And sort of parenthetically, do you think we're in sort of this liminal period between church, what was, in church, what will be? I sort of connect those two things in my mind anyway. Like, where do you think we're headed? Yeah, I mean, and, and just, just to, let me just get clarity on what I understand the kingdom part of the question. Are, are you, mm -hmm. when you mean liminal, do you mean like literally in 2021? Are we in a liminal space given what's going on in society? I mean, yeah. so frame that out a little bit more for me and I'll be, I think I'll be able to give you a good answer. Yeah, and that's exactly where I was going with it. Just um, in terms of all the changes that we've experienced from the social justice injustices, yeah. right? So from all the things that we've experienced over the course of the last couple of years, especially, I, you know, I heard people always say, I've never seen a time like this in, in all of my years. And yet, you know, you've had people that have sort of predicted uh, the end times, right, for all the time I've been on earth. And it's like, well, didn't happen then, didn't happen then. All you got to do is go to scripture and say, Jesus goes, only only dad knows the answer up in here, right? Like only the father knows when this is happening. 
So people have said, I've never gone through a time like this. And so clearly we're saying it last year was something else, but there is legitimate um, fallout. I don't know. It might be a strong word, but there is a shift on the other side of what we experienced and the church. People are not showing up. The church is in a, a different state. Um, people are not sort of putting up with things that they used to. And so I'm just, we know where it comes from. We know that it's time. I, I remember reading like Phyllis Tickle at one point in one of my classes was like, there's a, a great schism every 500 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, I would just love to hear your thoughts on where you think we're headed. And yes, if we are in sort of that in-between period, and if there is maybe a correlation between kingdom here, kingdom not yet. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I have another a book, the first book I ever wrote, um, well, other than my PhD dissertation was a book called Realigning with God, um, Reading Scripture for Church in the World. And, and basically that's a book about the kingdom. And so, you know, my, my, my basic approach to scripture is I take Jesus's opening sermon, if you will, it's in Mark and it's in, um, in, in, in Matthew, which it's essentially repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the, the insight that I got from just, I mean, I was reading it in Greek and I noticed that it's actually should be better be translated, be continually repenting for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so my whole approach to the Bible is assuming that the Bible wants to do something to us and not just make us feel good about who we are. And it speaks to both insiders and outsiders. And I've noticed, and I am going to answer your question here in just a second, but what I've noticed from reading scripture is that the mistake that we've made in the church is we end up using the Bible to assault the world a lot of times for, wow, not living out the way the Bible says, which, wow, I would never have guessed the thought of somebody who wasn't a Christian might live by the Bible. And instead, and then we give ourselves a pass on the inside. But what I noticed when you read scripture, Jesus was always harder on religious people than he was on on the outsiders. And so was the rest of the scriptures, for that matter. Um, the, The harshest things in the scriptures really are calling the church to reform. And so when I think about the kingdom already, not yet, it's always calling us to reform continually. So we should be in this this process. And you watch how Jesus did ministry. He was always breaking boundaries down. He was, um, uh, you know, like the Pharisees, the guy, that's the religious person. And we, you know, we all think they're villains. But, you know, the reality is, Beth, it's like, I know for 100% sure if I'm a dude living in first century Israel, <laughs> I'm a Pharisee. <laughs> yeah. And I was probably, I'd be a really good one. And they just love the Bible. They, they, they try to take the scriptures and apply them. They were just simply wrong. (laughs) And Jesus had to correct them because they did, they missed the mission of God. And so when I think about the kingdom now, it's, it's about God's mission. And so is there a shift taking place in the church? Absolutely. The way I would talk about it, um, would be would be two things like I'm I'm completely optimistic right now and I'm not and I'm 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 not an exaggerator I actually think there's going to be a revival Mm. a real revival of holiness of people that that are going to be um you know find their true identity and being loved by God and that we're we're going to see some real transformation that's going to empower the church to heal a lot of the fit, the hurts that we've had. But what's going to happen before that, and I think this is what's going on, is um, the false God that we've erected um, 
which a lot of times can be ego projection. We see this in the, you know, on both the left and the right in our country that use religion in their own way to create these ideologies. Those are just, those are almost idolatrous versions of who God is. And so what I think is happening right now, and it is unsettling. I mean, I have plenty of pastor friends that, you know, folks aren't coming back. It's very disjointing. Like what's ministry going to look like? I was just preaching in a church yesterday. Believe it or not, I had to preach on, um, they, they just preached verse by verse. And so I had to do the um, first Corinthians or first Thessalonians text where it talks about um, the dead in Christ will rise. First. So I just preached about the second coming yesterday, which was really funny. And the whole point was nobody knows when it's going to happen. Yep. And, uh, you know, so, so it was just kind of funny that you said that. But, um, you know, we, we do know that, uh, um, you know, Christ is, is going to come back. And, um, but we, we have a lot of um, kind of false ideas about who God is. And that's what's being purged right now. And like this church, they were like, they're like, what should we do? We want to be more missional. I'm like, well, that is the whole answer now. So I think it's literally preach the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So we can go back and look at that powerful message, preach it as, you know, let's respond fully to what God's doing. <clears throat> and, I think God is purifying the church now um, with a bigger version of who God really is um, with this, you know, when you use the Bible to, to look at that. And so in a sense, what we're seeing is God dying, if you will. I don't like to, I don't want to use that language. I don't know how many people listen. To that. I don't mean literally God's dying and I'm not suggesting that. But in a sense, the false versions of God are being purged away and the persons that are that we'll see in the churches are going to be people that have met, you know, the real Jesus and aren't getting, you know, all the different ideologies that we have or, you know, we're not finding our identity just being, you know, American citizens, but we're going to see ourselves as gospel people. And I think that's what's happening right now. It, yeah, I I could not agree more. And, and the word revival is exciting and scary all in one fell swoop. And I think it's almost like sort of the inverse of the Tower of Babel, right? Like, hey. I'm going to confuse all the languages so you guys don't know what's up. And now I'm going to actually unify everything that's happening. So you get the right messaging because we have gone. So we, everybody has gone to, to your point, their own version uh, of God, like this, I'm going to fit God in the box that makes me feel comfortable. And that's that, that's who he is now. And he's like, "Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. We've got to sort of right the ship. And, you know, the institution of the church um, is, has changed. And so, you know, and there there are sort of atrocities within them. And, and I don't think that that can ever be argued. And so um, what I know a lot of us have always struggled with, and, and me in particular, you know, I can speak from this firsthand experience is I used to equate God with the church. I did right, not know. Right. I did not understand that when I walked into a church, you know, the whole adage of, wow, you know, the church is going to go up in flames when you walk in there or whatever. And I'm just like, look, I I'm a little frightened here of this God who's supposed to love me. So how do you reconcile fear and love? How does that work? And if I work my way, I grew up Catholic. I don't know if you knew this, Brian, 30 years of Catholicism. Mm -hmm. So when I would walk into a Catholic church, I would go right to the confessional and I'm like, all right, Father Mike, how many do I have? He's like 10. All right, I'm going to say 12. I'm good. That's how my mind went. And I, I was always so fearful. I always had the vision of an angry God. And I think that God is bringing us back. We are his people. You know, we are grafted in, right? He chose the Jews and we are grafted in as part of this incredible fellowship of believers. It's not, you know, I I get labeled all the time, but I really think God is bringing us all back to him in a way that makes sense, perhaps not to each other, but to him. And really that's all that matters. He's got it, right? And so it's going to look different. It's going to feel different. It's going to be uncomfortable, but it's happening. And there's excitement and a level of almost relief 
as far as I'm concerned. I think that's a, a relieving sort of um, process that we're entering into. That's so good. And I'll just say, you know, the Centering Prayer <clears throat> helps to um, break down our false ideas about who God is. Because when you sit in silence and then if you, when you have those moments when you're connected with God, you just, because a lot of times when you're sitting in silence, you'll actually have thoughts that, you know, that you could label as, um, you know, sinful thoughts. Um, sure. But then you realize, wow, I'm sitting in silence with God and I got this stuff buzzing through my head and um, God hasn't zapped me. Uh, and, and that's a, you know, I, I say that in a joke in a sense, but it's really true. It's like, wow, I'm sitting here. That just went through my head. I'm supposed to be with God. God must still accept me. So I'm just going to own that thought, release that with my prayer word. And then God slowly heals us through that process. And then we draw closer to God because we don't have to be ashamed, right? We're not, yeah. We don't feel guilty, be ashamed, or be afraid. And in fact, you know, God's love frees us from all those things. Yes, that's a big amen. And that is so freeing. And it's so such a relief to know that he's like, I know, I know, it's okay. It's okay. And that's what we say as parents. That's what we say as friends who love one another unconditionally. We're like, you know what, I, I know you. And I may not like what you did or what you said or what you thought, but it's okay. It is still okay. And so when our identity is completely freed, and Jesus did that for us, right? It's like, all right, well, let's accept it. Let's actually accept it and then live like it. Live like we believe that we're worth being saved. So this has been so good. And I just, I can't thank you enough for your time. I would like uh, to end with, if you could let us know, where can we find your book that's coming out? And when does it actually come out? Your second book. Yeah, it, yeah it's called Centering Prayer. Um, sitting quietly in God's presence can change your life. It comes out by, from Paraclete Press on September the 14th. Um, it's available right now on Amazon for pre-order. If your listeners would like some actual information about how to do Centering Prayer in advance, you can sign up. It signs up for my for an email from me. It's um, centeringprayerbook.com, and that'll take you to a little page. Tells you a little bit about my book. And if you give me your email, I'll send you some videos and some information on uh, Centering Prayer and then updates on when the book comes out. But that's centeringprayerbook.com. Thank you so much. And to all of you viewers and listeners, I will have all the show notes. Um, we'll link to what Brian just said, too, so you'll be able to look down there as well. But again, Brian, we can't thank you enough for all of your insight and your wisdom and just your heart for the kingdom from a very young age and working through your own stuff and, and continuing to show up every day and to say, I've learned along the course of my journey. I'm going to keep giving back. I'm going to keep sharing my spiritual journey with others. And uh, this is what God has called me to do. So amen to living in two or three. <laughs> no, thank you. It's just been real fun and appreciate the, you know, your really awesome questions. So thank you, Beth. Of course. Of course. All right. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Brian. All right. Hey, you guys, how great was that interview with Brian Russell? But what a cool guy. I mean, just very well spoken, very solid in his theology. Also, probably more solid in his relationship with God, which is saying something. You know, he just gets it. And he didn't always get it. And I think that's the point of his story. He's like, you know what? I grew up in the faith. I had a conversion experience. I preached the first message I gave when I was 18 years old. And then I had something in the course of my journey that threw me off track divorce that rendered him stuck and he shared that with us very openly honestly and just a wealth of wisdom just a really authentic genuine guy i hope you guys heard some things on the show this this episode today that just really made you think made you deeply contemplative in terms of okay am i really spending enough time with god what does that look like how can i start 
I'm thinking those things. I really am. I'm going to try even harder, which I know you guys is hard to believe as an Enneagram three, but I'm going to try really hard to do those things with God. And just to say, you know what? Let's be still. So let me be silent. Let me ask these questions. And so just what an incredible gift it was to have them on today's show. If I can help you in any way, go to BethFisher.com. You guys know I'm doing coaching. I've always been a coach at heart, as you heard Brian and I talk about on this episode. Uh, if you want to be on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. If you can rate the podcast, I'd appreciate that. Again, BethFisher.com. Sign up for the newsletter. There's resources. There's stuff, you guys. So thanks, as always, for being here. And I will see you in two weeks. Peace. Okay, guys, how cool was that? I love listening to Dr. Brian Russell talk to us about all things centering prayer. It's interesting. It's just really interesting. It's a hard, hard thing to do over the course of your life. But, you know, I'm, I'm here to tell you at this age in mine, and I know, as you heard him say as well, it's worth it. It is worth it to slow down. It is worth it to contemplate the things that are important. It is really worth it to be introspective and say, how did I get here? And where am I going? And to do that, you have to get quiet. So for those of us who are believers in a higher power, we obviously call him God. Spend time, spend time, quiet time, and just sit there. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to look a certain way, but it does have to be in a space that is sacred to you, that is centering to you, that is calming to you, and just keep at it. Be really intentional about it and be consistent with it, and I promise it gets easier and you will see a difference in calmness in peace, in joy, and just kind of things that used to feel really giant and insurmountable and overwhelming, those things start to dissipate when you get quiet and you practice centering prayer. So hope you enjoyed this episode, you guys. And if you could do me the favor of liking the podcast, subscribing to the podcast, and sharing the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. Okay, you guys, as always, be remorseless in your journeys, which means without guilt, in spite of wrongdoing. I will see you next week.